0: so warmly welcomed. We gather as God's children in this place, on this land, a result of the promises of treaty. We gather to wait together and to prepare the mangers of our hearts for the coming of the Christ. We gather to worship our Creator, the one who dwells among us. Welcome. I would like to invite Carm and Mal up at this time to give their announcements.
1: Good morning. Um, my mom and dad, Lorraine and Albert Taves, have a gift for you guys, if you'd like it. Um, a- about four years ago they made a CD out of um, some songs that they sing at church and that they've sung at other places as well, along with their accompanist Evie Gertzen. And there's about 40 songs on that CD. So if you'd like one, there will be at the back of the church after the service. If by chance you are very familiar with Google and all those things, it is online as well, so if you want just to Address the URL address. Then um, um, there's little slips of paper back there too that you can pick one up and then you can just download it directly if you'd like to have a listen. So pick up, pick it up at the back of the church afterwards if you'd like. No, no, um, no obligation. But um, there have been people that have talked about um, having a little bit of a little bit of their music. So um, it's available for you as their Christmas gift to you. Thanks.
2: You've noticed that the mornings are shorter, or I should say the sun comes up later and we go to bed or we come home from work when it's dark. Around Christmas time we come to the longest night of the year, and it's a time when we hold a service here at Grace. Um, If you can take a look in your bulletins at the Christmas schedule there, on December the 19th we call it the longest night service. It's an opportunity to come and sit in a quiet place, as we say a reflective service with silence and prayers and candles and music, Um, During Christmas, there's a lot of lights, and there are are a lot of lights, and there's a lot of noise, and we have a lot of bustling. Um, For some of us who have experienced loss in whatever way that's been during the year, we may want a quiet place to simply come and sit together with others. Um, Also, maybe those of you who would just like silence in the middle of everything that happens at Christmas, it's a really good time to come and sit and enjoy a time of reflection and prayer and music together so this thursday at seven o'clock the longest night service and um if you know of anyone who you think it would be um good for them to be here they would find it meaningful because of what they have gone through this year a difficult year please invite them to come it's not only grace we make this uh, an opportunity for anyone in the community who would like your friends family to come and be with us that night so thursday at seven o'clock
0: Let us pray. O Lord, what are we waiting for? Why are we afraid? We see our need for your strength in our weakness and our need to be filled with your courage in the midst of all our fears. We long for an awakening, for renewed trust, and for patience in the coming of the Lord. Amen.
1: Please turn in your hymn books to number 171. Uh, We will be singing verses 1, 3, and 6. So that's Okamokami Manual. And the words are, pardon? Oh, sorry, 172. Sorry, said the wrong number. Anyways. Would you stand, please?
0: respond with the reading on the screen please respond with the bold print O oh God my God I cry out to you, you I start in your I your to your can I be patient enough to trust in your time instead of my own God what am I waiting for
1: And now we'll sing hymn number 377, all four verses, Healer of Our Every Ill.
2: And I are part of a wider extended family in which we wonder about how some folks are waiting. In a family with which we'd spent time, a family which seemed to enjoy their time together as we saw them during some occasions when we gathered early in our relationship, a family with a good sense of humor and the capacities to relate well to others and each other, a family in which a rift occurred. Between parents and a child. A rift that we don't really know much about or need to, I guess, because we've never been the ones brought into it, spoken to about it. A rift which has become decades long. What happened? Was it a situation which grew from a small seed into something larger and larger over time, resulting in silence? Was it a strong word spoken once which stopped all conversation in its tracks, spawning decades of quiet and painful unease? A hurt caused by a stinging word created or perceptions of words which were taken as stinging. A funeral of one parent, one of those parents, has occurred since their separation So have those of uncles and aunts, at which one, but not both, I don't think, have have been able to be in attendance so as not to be with each other. Waiting. I wonder who's waiting, and for what? Is it a child, now old, waiting for a parent to approach them? I've read once that none of us, no matter our age, can move on easily or well into life at some point if we have been denied or have not felt the blessing of our parents. Or is it a parent, now older, waiting for the other? Sometimes earlier misunderstandings or earlier failures, whether intentional or unwitting, create regret in us and distance between us which just cannot be easily bridged. We may sit, parents and children, all of us in any relationship we could probably think of now, idle or paralyzed, not knowing what to do, or even if we want to do anything, afraid of what has happened, afraid of what might happen if we don't do anything, yet afraid of doing something that we need in order to change the way it is, in order to begin anew. Waiting. Heather Bergman is now going to read our first scripture this morning.
3: This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, and Joseph had promised to get married... But before they started to live together, it became clear that, Mar- that she was going to have a baby. She became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, was a godly man. He did not want to put her to shame in public, so he planned to divorce her quietly. But as Joseph was thinking about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. The baby inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. She is going to have a son. You must give him the name Jesus. That is because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to bring about what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin is going to have a baby. She will give birth to a son and he will be he called Emmanuel the name Emmanuel means god with us
0: let us pray a short confessional poem as lexio divina three times with silence in between let us pray The dark of my truth is suspicion without fact. Forgive my fearing. The dark of my truth is suspicion without fact. Forgive my fearing the dark of my truth is suspicion without fact forgive my fearing Amen. Please join in response with the bold print. The Lord our God will come and save us. God will strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. The redeemed shall walk in the way of the Lord, we shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of
1: You may rem- remain seated as we sing the next hymn, and it's number 178. "Come thou long-expected Jesus.")
0: verses 22 and 25 to 33. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him which was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel and the childrens. Child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Please join in response with the bold print. We light this candle to recall Simeon and Anna and all those who are the quiet in the land who have awaited every generation for the glory of the Lord to be revealed and have patiently accepted your will and timing.
1: Good morning everyone. Just as the children's church kids get uh, settled, just let you know that um, every day as a stampede, every Sunday as a stampede of kids go to Sunday school, we always sing together first. And um, over the last few weeks, we've been practicing some Christmas songs that we'd love to share with you. The third song, we're asking if you would uh, join us and sing with us uh, A Thousand Candles. All right, could we please stand as we sing We Come? The words will be on the screen above us.
4: Just run.
2: I saw Heather back there, and now Gary and Heidi. I, I butchered everything along the way with her name today. I hope I haven't caused permanent trauma. In the bulletin, you'll have seen Heather Weents, and I messed it up in all kinds of ways. So um, hopefully she'll get over that. She did a really good job of reading. And uh, this morning, for those of you who haven't heard of Kyle's book, I don't imagine there's anybody really... Um, <laughs> But now you've heard, so if you want to know, just ask Kyle. He got a free advertisement this morning, but um, I thought it was time for me to start telling my paddling stories. (laughs) And they don't involve him. Fear and faith. The first time I'd encountered them, oh sorry, I began in the wrong paragraph. When I was a young boy of around 14 years, I was on a canoe trip with Boy Scout friends and leaders in northern Saskatchewan. Pristine lakes, picturesque camping spots, fishing, and rapids. Rapids. First time that I'd encountered them, as on a trip the year before, we'd not shot any. Rapids. Rivers and lakes bursting with water overflowing through narrow gaps between rocks and ledges, surging, creating eddies and waves and foam, crafting fun for those who like that kind of stuff, the adventurous ones shooting them in kayaks or canoes, swimming them in life jackets, if you've ever done it. Well, halfway into the trip, we came to a rapid, water entering the narrow chute from a wider river into a huge standing wave at the beginning before bending at an angle as it pushed up against a rock ledge, which forced the water angrily out and down into the calm beyond. We decided to swim it, I doing somewhat hesitantly and only after watching others having done the same. Well, after hitting that first wave, being shot up into it, we were to swim to our right to avoid that rock ledge in front of us, and I must have forgot after the initial rush of that wave, because, or I wasn't strong enough, maybe, I was swept into that rock by the powerful water, and under I went. Friends watching from the shore later told me that I had simply disappeared up top, and had popped out at the bottom, I don't know how much further down. And that experience created a fear in me sufficient to keep me from any interest in rapid shooting ever again, or for the rest of the trip. Many years after that. Fear. The book of Ezra in the Old Testament tells the story of life long after that, which we heard about a couple of weeks ago in Jeremiah. In the Jeremiah story, the Israelites had known... And wanted it was sort of known that their story, their time, their city was ending. They, as a people were going to be conquered, their city was going to be burned to the ground, and their officials and leaders were going to be taken into exile, kind of like house arrest, into a foreign land, and there they would need to set up shop and live for a long time. In today's story in the Old Testament book of Ezra, we read about the sequel. Because in the first year, the king Cyrus of Persia, so that the word of the Lord that had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord moved in the heart of Cyrus, and he made a declaration throughout his realm. This is what Cyrus said. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the nations of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple to the Lord the God of Israel, in Jerusalem, in Judah. So any among you who are His people can return to Jerusalem to build the temple of the Lord, the God of heaven, the God who lives in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them as they do. And in any locality where the survivors are living, they are to provide them with all they need for going and building. They are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with all the gifts that they need as they go to build the temple in Jerusalem. So they went. In the seventh month after they'd returned, after they'd settled in their homes, they they all gathered together in Jerusalem as one. And then Joshua among them, and some of the other priests together with Zerubbabel and his associates, began to build an altar of the God of Israel upon which burnt offerings could be sacrificed as they had been told to do in the law of Moses, the man of God. And so they did. And after they had built the altar, they began to, despite fears of the people around them, burn those sacrifices on the altar. And then... When the builders came and began to lay the foundation of the temple in which all would sit, those same priests together in their vestments and with trumpets, the Levites and their symbols, they stood in their places to praise the Lord. And with praise and thanksgiving, they shouted as one, "'The Lord is good. The love of the Lord towards Israel endures forever.'" And all the people standing in their places, they gave a great shout of joy and praise to the Lord as the, temple of, well, the foundation of the temple was laid. But some among them, the older priests and Levites and family heads, well, they wept because they had seen the old temple. It seems like the foundation of the new was not the same. But no one could tell between the weeping and the shouts of joy because there was so much noise that it was heard far, far away. A benevolent king had now conquered, who had long ago, the one who had long ago conquered Israel, and after them, their practice was different than those who had taken Israel away in the first place. Their practice was to let people return to their home, try to win them over by letting them go. It was a great moment for the Israelites who 70 years earlier had been taken away and they had been a long stretch of waiting, waiting for what they believed was God's promise to return to Jerusalem. Although it wasn't a great promise for all, after 70 years of homes and families and life in a city and country in which they were not really mistreated, they'd permanently relocated and they didn't really want to return to a destroyed Jerusalem. It's not those for the, home for those who'd never seen it, to go home and take up the job of rebuilding a temple. Kind of like all of us who have come from different countries, and we've been here 50, 70, 100 years and more. Do we want to go back to where our grandparents came from? Maybe they were afraid to do that. After all, that would be a challenge. While their parents or grandparents might have kept the dream alive of rebuilding home, they as God's people, again inhabiting God's city and sacrificing in God's temple, actually doing that wouldn't be easy. Or maybe they were afraid of the good life that they created in their new home, and it would be lost. It would be a future which would not be guaranteed if they would leave. Possibly they weren't afraid of the work. They were afraid of losing everything that they had built up in the last 70 years. If it was good where they'd been for 70 years, why leave it for the uncertainty of a conviction, a dream, God's city and ways? We're Babylonian or Persian Jews now. Those are the countries that they were conquered by. We're not really Jerusalem Jews any longer. On the other hand, many did return. And those who did had the challenge and opportunity of rebuilding their city and their temple and their faith and their life as God's people living in the land that God had given them, worshiping in God's ways in the temple, offering sacrifices like their ancestors had. I wonder if they were afraid, those who returned. The land to which they were returning was, after all, not empty. It was inhabited. And we read that they were afraid of those residents as they began to build and worship. How would those respond who'd been living there respond to large groups of people coming back to live where? In the places that they now owned. Many of those who had remained back in Jerusalem might not have been taken captive years earlier because they weren't considered dangerous or useful to their conquerors at the time. They were kind of the the leftovers. And after the captives had been taken away, they'd made their home. They'd made their businesses. They'd even started to govern and now they were supposed to take back all these people and invite them into their land and homes, might not be room for everyone. A complete sermon should probably include this story from their perspective, not only the other. What happens when one group with resources and power and privilege to do so moves into the home of the other? Today's story is only told from the perspective of the ones returning. The other one will have to be a sermon at a different time. And those returnees, they did have a reason to fear. Because later in the story, further than we're going to go today, we read that those who were living there went to the king of the land that had granted them to return and said, they're planning insurrection, stop their building. They didn't want it to happen. And in the story of Nehemiah, which follows Ezra, the returnees were so afraid that they placed guards with swords and spears and arrows around the walls of the city as the opposition grew and became potentially violent. There was reason for fear on both sides, I imagine. Returnees with permission to build, residents unsure of how that would affect them. In this tension, the returnees, though, did live beyond their fear. The fear of work, the fear of leaving their good lives in a foreign land, returning to do what God hoped they would do, or they felt that God was hoping they would do. They lived beyond their seer by sacrificing and building Despite the mood of the peoples around them, the dangers which that represented, they trusted that they were doing as God hoped for them, and that God was faithful to lead them in it. Importantly, very importantly, I think, I would hope that following God and rebuilding that city and temple beyond their fear would have led them to be unfearful with those living there already treating them as themselves, alleviating their fear by showing them that they had not come to do their own thing, but to live together with and as, not apart from those already there. Fear. The Christmas story, and I'm not going to go into the length of them, so I hope that you're sort of familiar with some of them, but it's full of fear and conflicting emotions. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, we read a little bit about that this morning, who eventually introduces Jesus is afraid when he sees an angel while performing his priestly duties. Like the shepherds that we're going to hear of soon when they are suddenly in the presence of angels. Mary's troubled when an angel visits her, wondering if it's good news or bad because angels were not an everyday occurrence. She's told not to be afraid. This is God's work. Even though it's not usual even scandalous, it's God's doing. Mary carries on despite her worry, but not Joseph. When he finds out that Mary's pregnant, he decides to do the right thing for himself by calling off the marriage. And while nothing would have helped Mary in her situation, it was very dire, he at least ready, He was at least ready to be kind. He was going to do this privately, not publicly. But he's told by an angel not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Her name is going to be smudged, and he's supposed to stand by her and not be afraid that his will be as well if he does. God's at work in strange ways, and he has to stand in the face of all those who are going to laugh at him and mock him for it. Don't be afraid, Joseph. And even King Herod has fearful reactions later in the story. During the wise men's visit, being disturbed, we read, in his case, it's about what he has to lose. He was known as a ruler so ruthless that he'd kill his own family members to stay in power. His fear of losing it subsequently led to a murderous rampage to kill any possible future threat to his power after he hears about a king being born. He's not told, don't be afraid. If anything, he would likely have been told, do be afraid. Be very afraid. Change is coming fear. As we try to live as God's people in our stories, within our relationship with family and friends, at school, at work, in our community and world, where and why are we afraid? And how does that play itself out in who we are and how we live? I know there's two ways or two means or two times that we are afraid, I should say. Sometimes it's very personal, but that's what comes upon us. And other times it's we're afraid of what will happen if we act in certain ways. To simply begin, I know that many of us have fears that are within us and around us because of family and situations in our own that are difficult. We are afraid of what's happening to us, being given to us, which we in some sense have no control over. To begin with, I'd like to us to simply close our eyes and think of those fears, the fears that we have deep in ourselves this morning. Let's do that. God is with us. Beyond the deep inner fears that we might have, those of what's happening in our own lives, might we sometimes be afraid of others close to us? Sometimes the way we're living or what we're encouraging or thinking or doing, accepting, might threaten others. What is my family, what are close friends going to think and say if I follow Jesus in a certain way, into a way of living and understanding and living the gospel that's not the same as theirs? Will they talk? Will I be seen as foolish or worse, heretical if it comes to some faith matters? Will my family disown me? Am I afraid I won't be able to gather my family, the most important people to me, together gathering us and circling us? Or might we sometimes be afraid of our community? What if I lose business because of the way I do business? because of the way I conduct myself and my affairs in a way which I believe God asks of me. Maybe I won't be elected or given a position of honor or opportunity, which I really want. Might the guys or girls at school or on the team mock me, leave me to myself and ignore me, leaving me with only a quiet phone? Or might I be afraid of losing my lifestyle? I like what I have what I get to do, who I get to do it with. If I were given to God in all things, might I feel that God's love for me and the other asks me to give myself in ways that maybe I'm not too keen on doing or being? While not wanting to resurrect old understandings that if you give yourself to God's way, you'll be asked to do all the things you like least and be able to enjoy nothing... The hope of Christ in the gospel is not simply to make us as comfortable as possible by any stretch of the imagination. Fear. A couple of years ago on my second sabbatical I ended up on a great canoe trip with my son. A trip which ended up being coincidentally the same route of years ago. What did that mean? More rapids. Interesting how old fear doesn't die, because now, an adult, I felt the same gut-wrenching trepidation that had begun years earlier. But now I'm with my son, and I'm in his canoe, so can I admit that? No. Of course, the end of the trip was another set of rapids, auto rapids. You can find it on YouTube if you want. Folks shooting it, swimming, and jumping off a bridge into the middle of it. Not a big deal, really. Really? Well, as we neared the rapid, you could see the bridge in the distance crossing the places where it came together, and the beginning to hear the roar of it, and I again had that sinking feeling in my stomach. While not the rapid on which I'd encountered the rocks years earlier, I remember tippeting in this one as well so many years ago, surrounded by water and noise and confusion, and just, good, it's finally over. Well, my son didn't have that sinking feeling, And as the noise grew and the rapid came into focus, he started whooping it up, and in we went. Didn't even stop to look at it first. We rode it well. I enjoyed every minute, and it was almost over too soon. So good that I went and did the bridge jump right into the middle of it, right after him, which, no, I will not do again. (laughs) I read this morning that in naming our fears, they lose their power. Fear and faith. I don't know if you are afraid, and if you are of what. My comments today have been very general, not at all specific, but if you are afraid of something, whatever it is, God in the story of Ezra, God in the Christmas story, God in our story calls us to live and act beyond our fear, in faith, not out of fear. While wanting to continue to be faithful to God as we grow our closest relationships, enjoy life in a bigger community, and live well and in God's ways with all and everything, we are urged to trust God in whooping it up in the back of the canoe so that we are going to be filled with some kind of courage that we need, even enjoyment, to do this in the midst of our deepest fears, in our deepest being Able to clutch and somehow hold closely with sometimes difficult but deep faith those most common words of Scripture, often put in God's mouth in the Old Testament, Jesus' mouth in the New. Don't be afraid. God has come. Don't be afraid. Amen.
1: Shall we stand as we sing our next hymn, Infant Holy, Infant Lowly, page number 206 in your hymn book?
0: Let us pray. God of creation, we hear your call to rejoice and to be redeemed, your call for awakening and action. You continue to wait for us and to call us beloved, yet still, sometimes, God, we are afraid. Help us in our fear and unbelief. God, we know you are always present and ever faithful. Help us put our trust in you. We pray for our world, for those who live in dangerous places, for those who live in areas of war and strife, for those who live in fear, for those who worry about providing basic needs for their families. We also pray for the leaders of various nations and cities, that they may lead with strong hearts and gentle hands, generous spirits with compassion and mercy, with wisdom and grace. We pray for our community. We pray that Southeast Helping Hands will have enough donations for those who come during the Christmas season. We pray for our church. We pray for Helen Barkman as she recovers in St. Boniface Hospital from heart surgery, and for Marie Dick, who is now being cared for in the Vita Care Home. We pray that Martha Plett will enjoy Christmas with her family. We remember and pray for those in our congregation with medical concerns Regan Barkman, Lori Craker. Shirley Joy, Andreas Duick Betty Koop, Matt Rogalski, and others. We also want to remember and pray for those for whom this is a difficult or lonely time of year. Lord, we pray that each one may feel your hand of comfort during this time. And now as we take the offering, may we be reminded of the gift of new life, offered to all. God, may our response come together for the building of your upside-down kingdom. Amen.
1: And for our final song this morning, let's turn to page number 197 in our hymn books, Angels We Have Heard on High. And let's sing the glory. Please stand.
0: from dismay may we turn from the despair that narrates our lives and the world in which we live may we remember who God is and the promise of faithfulness that God has made to creation amen